Welcome to Twisted News, everyone, where we give you some of the strangest true crime stories every week currently happening in our world. Today, we're looking into a controversial case that doesn't seem to add up, but yet a young girl has had to pay the price for. And we'll also dig into the happy face killer's final victim, who's only just been identified. Get ready for Scary Mysteries, Twisted News. Number 1. Ice Cold Justice The sultry air of a bustling Jakarta cafe. Toxic blend of friendship and betrayal brewed as potently as the coffee served to the unsuspecting Myrna Salahin. The cafe, renowned for its aromatic beans and tranquil ambience, was on that fateful day the ground zero of a crime that would shock a nation, unravel a friendship, and spawn a legal battle reminiscent of the infamous O.J. Simpson trial. Netflix's true crime documentary, Ice Cold, Murder, Coffee, and Jessica Wongzo, which was released recently, reconstructs the convoluted tale of intrigue that began with an innocent coffee date and spiraled into a televised legal spectacle. Back on January 6th of 2016, 27-year-old Myrna Salahan sipped her Vietnamese iced coffee at the Oliver Cafe with her friends, oblivious to the fact that something terrible was about to happen. After just a few sips, the girl started convulsing, having seizure-like symptoms. She started shaking, so much so that she fell to the floor. A silence filled the air as Salahan collapsed, and she died right there on the spot. Her demise was as mysterious as it was swift. An autopsy laden with controversy and contradiction showed evidence that there was bleeding in the girl's stomach, and police claimed that cyanide was found both in the coffee she drank and in her system. The revelation cast a dark shadow on that upscale cafe, transforming it from a haven of relaxation to a crime scene. The spotlight of suspicion ultimately fell onto Jessica Wongzo, Salahin's friend, as the alleged individual who dosed the girl with poison. The documentary plunges viewers into the heart of a murder trial that polarized opinions and blurred the lines of justice and friendship and left a nation and the world riveted. With the nation watching intently, accusations and counter-accusations weaved a web of uncertainty. Wangzo, accused of lacing the coffee with cyanide, found herself at the center of a narrative oscillating between damning conviction and disconcerting doubt. A cafe worker, having tasted the ominous coffee, dismissed the allegation of poisoning as he lived to tell the tale. A complex tapestry of evidence, or lack thereof, unfolded. Security footage, for example, from the cafe was inconclusive, at 4.14 p.m., Wangzo arrived there, and then she ordered her and her friend a drink. An hour later, at 5.16 p.m., Salahan arrived, but for that hour, the drinks were out of view of the security cameras. Eyewitness accounts varied. Some said they thought they saw the girl put something in the drink, and others said the exact opposite. I mean, after all, the cafe was in a busy mall, so... If you were going to poison your friend, 
Why do it there with people around and cameras? And furthermore, though there was cyanide in the girl's system, it was not a lethal dose, which cast a lot of doubt on the prosecution's narrative. As the defense endeavored to dismantle the idea of premeditated murder amongst friends, the controversial decision to forego an autopsy at the behest of Sullivan's father added layers to this murder mystery that may not even be a murder at all. Pathologists themselves questioned the possibility of cyanide poisoning, weaving alternative theories of natural causes into the complex narrative. Yet amidst the array of conflicting testimony, Wangzo ultimately was given a 20-year prison sentence, despite many feeling there was no proof she had actually done anything at all. Following the guilty verdict, Wangzo raised a lengthy appeal that was rejected at both the Jakarta High Court and the Supreme Court. This Netflix documentary has people saying it's a must-watch, and after looking into the story, there's a ton of strange things happening in this case, so hopefully it's a good one. Number 2. Final Chapter of the Happy Face Killer Keith Jesperson, infamously known as the Happy Face Killer, is a Canadian-born American serial killer who was convicted for murdering eight women in the U.S. during the early 1990s. His moniker originates from the sinister smiley face drawings he included in his confession letters to the media and prosecution, showcasing a grim signature that instilled horror and fascination in equal measure. Born on April 6, 1955 in Chilliwack, British Columbia, he grew up in a turbulent household. His father was an alcoholic, and his grandfather known for violence. But from a young age, he was teased and treated like a black sheep by his family and the neighborhood, mainly for his large size. Keith was only five when he started capturing animals and pitting them against one another. As he got a little older, he would capture birds, cats, and stray dogs, put them in a pen to see which one would win. As he became an adult, he tried to do right in the world, but his relationships fell apart, and his dreams of becoming a police officer were shattered because of an injury. And so at the age of 35, standing six foot seven and weighing 250 pounds, the big man became a truck driver and also started killing. Being a long-haul trucker was a job that not only facilitated but aided in his killing spree. With vast stretches of highways and the solitude of the open road, it was his playground where he preyed upon vulnerable women, often prostitutes and transients whose disappearances wouldn't immediately raise alarms. The brutality of his killings and the subsequent taunts via letters bearing the ominous smiley face signature evoked a mix of terror and intrigue. Each murder was methodically executed, showcasing a man who took grotesque pleasure in his acts. His main M.O. was to strangle with his bare hands, as he liked to prove his own power without using a weapon. Ultimately, Jesperson would go on to be arrested on March 30th of 1995 for the murder of Julie Wingingham. He had been questioned by police a week before, but they had no grounds to arrest him after he refused to talk. In the days that followed, 
Jesperson decided that he was certainly going to be arrested, and so he just turned himself in. In custody, he admitted eight murders, but police could only identify seven of them. In Florida, the body of a woman who was found off Interstate 10 in 1994 remained unidentified until very recently. For decades, this female was known only as Susan or Suzette, and she remained one of Florida's haunting mysteries. And that was until the OSO, in partnership with Othram, a forensic genetic genealogy lab, unraveled the enigma. In a six-week investigation fueled by advances in technology and the pursuit of justice, Susan then became known as Suzanne Kellenberg. In 2023, nearly 30 years after that fateful night, Jesperson was shown pictures of the woman. And having an excellent memory, according to police, he then told investigators the very exit where they found her, near Holt, and he explained that he had picked her up at his truck stop before tying her up, killing her, and leaving her where she was found. Officially charged with Suzanne's murder, now the grim tale of the happy-faced killer has reached its final chapter. So there were two of the most controversial and murderous stories that we have for you guys today. If you want more creepy true crime podcasts, then check out our other one called Every Town, where we do deep dives into the strangest cases that you never heard of. Thanks for tuning in today. We appreciate it very much. I'll see you soon.